Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2021 edition. It's day five of the federal election campaign. Canadians go to the polls on September 20th. On the campaign trail today, housing affordability, seniors and health care dominate the agenda. And the abortion issue, it's back before Canadians with a promise from the Conservatives to protect the conscience rights of health care workers. What exactly does that mean? Coming up on the program, party commentators debate the campaign pledges. And we'll also speak with Elections Canada tonight about the changes for voters in this pandemic election. But first, to the leaders and the campaign trail. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole campaigned in the Ottawa area today. O'Toole highlighted the Conservative platform promise to make housing more affordable by cracking down on foreign home buyers and by building one million homes over the next three years, in part by converting 15% of federally owned land and buildings for housing development. If your family can afford to ignore the housing crisis, you have three parties to choose from. But if you want your government to secure a future where you and your family can afford a home that meets your needs, you have only one choice, Canada's Conservatives. The Conservative leader who repeated today that he will protect a woman's right to an abortion is facing more questions about another promise in the party platform, a promise to take steps to protect the conscience rights of health care workers who refuse to participate in certain procedures such as abortion or medically assisted death. This is not at all a contradiction. Um, I think it's very, very important to defend the rights of all Canadians. That's what I will do, uh, having, making sure that women have the right to access abortion services across this country. I am pro-choice. I have a pro-choice record, and that's how I will be. I, I think it's also possible to show respect for our nurses, our healthcare professionals, with respect particularly to the expansion of medical assistance in dying as we're even as a federal government studying the expansion into mental health, let's find a, an appropriate and a fair balance to make sure those rights are accessed, but we can respect uh, conscience provisions as well. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was in Victoria, BC today before heading to Alberta. Trudeau promised $9 billion in funding to improve conditions in long-term care homes, but provinces would have to use the money for a $25 an hour minimum wage for personal support workers, and he promised funding to train 50,000 new PSWs. Liberals would also double the home accessibility tax credit to help seniors remain in their homes longer. I want to be clear that the federal government has no intention of starting to micromanage long-term care. That is a provincial responsibility. But I do know one thing. We all agree that as a country, we need to do better by our seniors. Trudeau also attacked the Conservative leader for his pledge to protect health care professionals who refuse to perform a medical procedure if it goes against their moral or religious beliefs. I think it's clear that there's something fundamental that Aaron O'Toole doesn't understand. Pro-choice doesn't mean the freedom of doctors to choose. It means the freedom of women to choose. Leaders have to be unequivocal on that and 
Once again, Aaron O'Toole is not, and he's saying certain things to some people, and it's opposite to others. That's not good enough. Yes, we love ice cream. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Edmonton today, where the party holds the only non-conservative seat in the whole province. Singh promised an NDP government would create a special fund of $250 million as long as provinces use that money to train and hire 2,000 more nurses. He also promised to boost federal health transfers to the provinces. We absolutely believe in increasing health care transfers and, and we believe in expanding health care in general and that's why we're talking about bringing long-term care into the public system, while we believe in making sure medication coverage is included in our healthcare system, and while we are talking today about increasing funding for frontline healthcare workers, we believe passionately in making sure healthcare is there for you and your families. We are the party of healthcare, we have long fought for it, and we will continue to fight for it. Singh also weighed in on the Conservative pledge to protect healthcare workers who refuse to perform medical procedures because of their personal beliefs. The, the Conservatives are, are just missing the plot on this. We, we know that the big concern for, for women particularly is a lack of access to abortion services. And if anyone goes to the healthcare provider and needs help, the healthcare provider can't provide that care, they have a responsibility to make sure they find someone that can do it. They have to make sure that they get that access. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette campaigned in West Quebec today. At a stop in Gatineau, the Bloc leader championed the demands of the provinces for more money from the federal government for health care. Lachette was asked why Quebecers should vote for the bloc when the Liberals have been working well with the Quebec government. Because Justin Trudeau would not have worked closely with François Legault if we would not have been there. That's quite clear. The lack of respect that the federal government and most of them all, Justin Trudeau, has quite often for Quebec would have been much more important in the way he would have managed the country and its, its relation with Quebec. That's the kind of day it's been, day five of the federal election campaign. So protecting the conscience rights of health workers and the abortion issue emerges in the campaign, in another election campaign in this country today, along with a focus again on affordability issues in housing. Let's bring in our panel of party commentators to discuss the latest developments in the campaign. Susan Smith is a Liberal commentator, Kate Harrison is a Conservative commentator, and Kim Wright is an NDP commentator. It's good to see you all. Look, we'll get to the debate over conscience rights in a moment, uh, but I want to start with the issue of affordability. Uh, Susan, it's, let, me, let me take a moment here to walk through what's on offer. Uh, the parties do have promises about housing, and they do differ. Liberals promising in the last budget to spend $2.5 billion to build 35,000 affordable housing units. Conservatives uh, promising a million new housing units over three years by using federal land and buildings for housing development and banning foreign investors from buying properties they don't live in. And the NDP pledging to build 500,000 affordable housing units over the next decade and slapping a tax on foreign home buyers. So the parties recognize the issue of affordability and how important it is to Canadians. Could this be the big issue of the campaign, Susan? I think affordability writ large could be an issue in the campaign. Housing definitely is up there, and I expect the Liberal platform to have further measures. Peter, you touched on a couple. The government in the last budget brought in a tax that will be come into place on the 1st of January. It's a tax against foreign home buyers who are in vacant homes. It's $70 billion that's been committed since 2017 to build affordable housing units. And there are other initiatives co working uh, with Indigenous communities to co-develop and so on. So it definitely is an issue that has been exacerbated by the pandemic. I don't think it's something you can pin on any 
one level of government that the, the you know the where the housing um, price point has become or the shortage has become the pandemic has exacerbated things but I'm glad to see all of the parties are looking at it and addressing it for Canadians and people will just choose what option they believe right. in uh, uh, that's doable. Kate, let me turn to you. Uh, this issue of affordability and how it might affect the campaign and, and, and on housing in particular, um, you know, there are promises being made here, but there are some serious structural challenges to changing uh, the affordability and housing issue in this country. I mean, just start with housing prices. Uh, people talk about uh, the unaffordability of housing, but look, it's it's great that housing prices are going up if you own the house and you're making money off it. Not so great if you're trying to get into the market, but it's a big issue. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And that is uh, the balance, I think, that a lot of politicians are, are trying to, to walk. But the fact of the matter is, like getting a foot in the door and having a roof over your head and, and somewhere safe to live um, is such a foundational building block uh, for the rest of your economic prospects, your social prospects, health, welfare. Uh, so it is more than just about housing itself, because it is such an important part of other components of your life. Uh, so I, I, it's good to see the parties focus on it. This is a huge issue for millennials in particular. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, in urban centers, of course, uh, but because uh, people are now able to work from home, the house, uh, prices of houses are rising everywhere. So what I like about the Tory plan uh, is the use of uh, existing buildings and structures, converting those into hopefully multi-residential units and dwellings. If we've got less workers going into office buildings, perhaps those can be used for... Um, uh, for, right. for long-term homes. Uh, what are your thoughts on this issue, Kim? So, look, my day job is uh, dealing a lot with municipalities, and in particular on housing and the housing crisis and all the varying forms. One of the biggest things that people face is not wanting to fight against NIMBYs, not wanting to understand the the reality is if you want to actually have more people with homes, you're either going to have to build up or build out. You can't say no to all these developments everywhere. So creating the, that environment that housing actually matters, creating the supports in communities, not only mental health, uh, supports, which are going to be huge, especially as we come through the pandemic, but also creating uh, community-based supports, community centers, rec centers, really rethinking that community. And for goodness sake, stop talking about building uh, the broadband network and the 5G network across the country. What we found during the pandemic is, oh, right, people use the internet a lot. And if you want to actually deal with the economic realities of how people live, work and play, having all of those things in place are actually going to be fundamental. So right. I, I, I look, I'm all for any housing announcements, but more importantly, actually letting let's get on with building them. And that's really where governments want to do a lot of finger pointing, a lot of great promises when uh, election season comes around. Uh, but it's okay. the delivery models that are problematic. All right. So the parties seem to be attuned to it. We'll watch how this unfolds. Uh, still a lot of campaigning left to do. Uh, Kate, let me let me start uh, turn to you here for our next conversation. Let's talk about the promise in the conservative platform. Uh, it's back on the campaign now, this page 147, to protect the conscience rights of health professionals who refuse for reasons of belief and conscience to perform some medical procedures. Uh, look, the law on medically assisted death already provides those protections, but, but what's not clear and what wasn't answered today from Aaron O'Toole is whether he would extend those protections. Would it include abortion services, abortion referrals? And if his uh, protections would make abortion harder to obtain for a woman, can he really say he's pro-choice? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that he has been really as as clear as he can be on this. He talked about his own personal convictions on this, that he is a pro-choice leader. Uh, but he did also make the point, Peter, very clearly that uh, women should be able to access uh, medical services wherever they are. I, I believe he said from ocean to ocean, uh, you know, it's come up about how that might not be the case in, in all provinces. And uh, he certainly uh, was clear that, that you should be able to get these services wherever you are. So uh, I'm not surprised to see this come up again in the election. You can pretty much set your watch to uh, the Liberals being the ones to to invoke this debate again. Uh, but O'Toole, for his part, is doing what Andrew Scheer, in my opinion, did not do. Uh, and he's provided pretty clear answers consistently early on uh, so that this can't be used as a as a wedge. OK, Kim Wright, let me get your reaction to Aaron O'Toole suggesting, uh, suggesting that uh, his pro-choice position and a pledge to protect conscience rights of healthcare workers, that that's not a contradiction. So Aaron O'Toole frequently talks about this, that he is pro-choice, and I take him at his word. The problem is he hasn't demonstrated in any way that he can manage his caucus. He certainly didn't do it on the conversion therapy bill. He certainly even where he believes uh, that we should get rid of the blood ban, he didn't bring his caucus along. So it's all swell and well that he wants to say these things and put them in a platform. But if he can't bring his team along or his cabinet along, we've got real concerns uh, that he's going to be able to, to manage this through the country. And I think everyone should be asking those same questions about all of these all of these matters. It's it's the same with the environment. He talks a good game about the environment, uh, but he also is, represents a party that is meh about doing anything to actually manage right. uh, the environment. Uh, Susan, Justin Thoreau said today that pro-choice doesn't mean the freedom of doctors to choose. It means the freedom of women to choose. But uh, as I said, there there do exist these protections for healthcare workers who don't want to perform procedures uh, specifically related to medically uh, medical assistance in dying. Uh, what's wrong with Aaron O'Toole's position here? He's trying to split a hair, and uh, he's. I, I think Kim's bang on, actually. He doesn't have control of the caucus, and what he's pandering to is the Andrew Scheer, Jason Kenney, uh, social conservative side of the caucus, and he doesn't re uh, rein them in at all. So it's one thing to say, sure, I'm pro-choice as the leader, but he cannot lead that party. He hasn't demonstrated that he can do it. The other thing is, Peter, um, it's in the legislation for medically assisted dying. Mm -hmm. It, as you pointed out, it's not for abortion. It's also not for um, any other kind of contraceptive therapy. It's not for uh, treatment for transgendered uh, patients. So basically, Aaron O'Toole is saying, yeah, it's kind of up, up to your doctor. I hope you're lucky enough to get a doctor that does what you want him or her to do or can give you the advice on the services that and the care that you need. And that's not okay. He's trying to split a hair, pandering to the social conservative part of the party, the Andrew Shear, Jason Kenny wing of that party. And I think it's going to backfire on him. Kate, let me have you pick up on that. Do we need more clarity from Mr. Shear? Not about where he stands, but what he has in mind with protections for conscience rights, presumably some kind of legislation. But what exactly he has in mind? What is it he would allow... Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Aaron O'Toole, uh, what, what he has in mind about who would be protected and protected uh, from having to do what exactly? Well, I, I kind of look at what's in the platform is really just a continuation of the status quo, to be honest, which is that, um, you know, as you point out, medical assisted dying, they have that conscient, uh, conscientious rights and beliefs. Uh, there is no interest uh, from the Conservative Party of reopening this debate in any way. Uh, I think that that is the 
position a lot of Canadians uh, feel as well. They don't want to see this reopened. Conservatives certainly don't. Uh, and it's really but, one but party in particular today, but, that keeps when asked this today, up. But, but when asked today about whether it would, whether it would um, have to do with abortion, the answer was, I'm pro-choice from Mr. O'Toole. It wasn't sure. uh, a flat-out, no, this, this, this will not have anything to do with abortion. And for a lot of people, the concern is, if you live in a in a place where maybe there's you know a big city, there's lots of options. But if you live in a part of the country where there's maybe not that many choices, what is it you should be able to expect from your doctor? Yeah, I think that he did talk a little bit about that in his comments in terms of making sure that this is something that could be accessed in different parts of the country. Uh, we saw, for example, uh, how there was a lot of healthcare challenges in rural Nova Scotia that factored into the provincial election campaign. Perhaps this will as well, uh, though I do think by and large uh, Canadians are pretty comfortable with what they have right now. I don't think that Aaron O'Toole or the Conservatives are really looking to upset the apple cart here. All right, Kim, do, do we, Buddy has. Okay, Kim, let me hear from you here on whether uh, we've had enough clarity from exactly what Mr. O'Toole has in mind. Well, again, Mr. O'Toole is less of a problem and concern for me right now. It's the dean of his caucus, Cheryl Gallant, some of the positions she holds. How much sway is she going to have? Some of the others in the caucus. Uh, again, Aaron O'Toole has not shown that he can manage his caucus. He's, you know, it's great to talk about these things, but if you can't bring people along, you're a guy out for a walk. But ultimately, you know, people don't have access to local doctors, they don't have access in a lot of places to their local communities. Even in large, uh, even in large cities, people finding a local doctor is increasingly difficult, and will continue to be because of the pandemic and the burnout of doctors. So, accessing these services, making sure that people have the availability of good medical care, access to care, good, uh, you know, all all of the social programs that go along uh, with medical care, uh, we've seen again and again is problematic. And and I'm, I'll applaud Aaron O'Toole. He talks yeah. about mental health as one of his big priorities. But again, people can't access these services. And that will become problematic more and more every day as we get through this pandemic. All right. Just a final word, to you, uh, Susan, on this. Uh, as I pointed out, I mean, in the liberals made sure in the legislation for assisted dying, uh, doctors would not be forced uh, to uh, conduct assisted dying uh, against their beliefs. So is, is there room here uh, to, to make these two things go together? Peter, Aaron O'Toole did not actually have to put that statement in the platform. If it's in the medically assisted dying legislation and that's what he claims it's referring to, why is it in the platform? It's in the platform to pander to a certain part of the base. 81 members of Aaron O'Toole's caucus under his leadership, that's more than half his caucus, voted to okay. reopen the abortion debate. So he has his opinion, but the challenge is the party the base, and he's got to keep a rein on it all, and he has yet to put his imprint well, on it. We'll have to leave it there. Uh, thank you all for your time tonight, and we'll have a chance to talk again. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Peter. Elections Canada is expecting millions of Canadians to opt for mail-in voting for this pandemic election. Elections Canada says as many as 5 million Canadians are expected to vote by mail, this time compared to 50,000 mail-in votes in 2019. Canadians who don't want to visit a polling station can apply online to Elections Canada for a mail-in ballot kit. But apply early, that's the word, so that your voting kit can be returned to Elections Canada by elections, uh, election day. It can also be dropped off uh, on voting day at your local polling station. And once you decide to vote by mail and apply for the kit, you can't change your mind and decide instead to vote in person. 
Now, depending on the volume of mail-in ballots, the final election results may not be clear until two to five days after September 20th. Advanced polls will be held on four days from Friday, September 10th through Monday, September 13th. And for those Canadians who do vote in person, the head of Elections Canada, he's telling Canadians that polling stations will be COVID safe, even though mandatory vaccinations are not being required for poll workers. We will have people in charge of ensuring that the place um, is clean, uh, that, that the electors are properly distanced. Uh, they will see, for example, the, these physical uh, transparent barriers uh, that will separate the, the poll workers uh, uh, that will service them uh, to allow them to vote. Uh, there will be masks. If, if Canadians do not have a mask, we will offer a mask. We've, done, uh, we, we've purchased a very, very large number uh, of masks. And, uh, of course, hand sanitizing lotions and uh, disposable uh, pencils. And as I indicated earlier, anyone who wants to bring their pen or pencil uh, is welcome to do that. Natasha Gauthier is the spokesperson for Elections Canada. She joins me now. Uh, good to see you. Thanks for taking time to speak with me today. Uh, Thank you, Peter. Look, you're expecting up to 5 million mail-in ballots this time around. Explain why it'll take as many as five days beyond Election Day to get those ballots counted. There are a couple of things happening with the mail-in ballots. So, yes, 5 million, that would be at the high end of uh, our predictions. Uh, if COVID cases start increasing throughout the election period, uh, if some provinces or regions start bringing in curfews and stricter lockdowns, it could be as high as 5 million. If cases stay stable right now, what we're looking at is, you know, between 2 and 3 million. But either way, it's a significant increase from previous years. If you compare to 2019, we had about 50,000 mail-in ballots uh, total. So the reason it might take longer, there are a couple of things happening. The first is the necessary integrity checks, the verifications that the returning officers have to do for each mail-in ballot before they even count the ballot. They have to check the outside envelope. There's a number of steps that they take to make sure uh, that, for example, the elector did not vote twice. So they want to make sure that that person's name has not been scratched off uh, an in-person poll list, for example, the advanced right. polls. A uh, number of things that they have to do before they even can open the ballots to start counting before they can open the envelopes to start counting the ballots inside. The other thing is uh, a new thing that we're bringing in for this election, and this is to accommodate people maybe with the understanding that we're going to have a lot of first-time uh, users of mail-in ballots. Sure. So to allow them to meet the deadline, so we have to get your, your mail-in ballot by the time polls close in your riding, if you're voting by mail in your riding. Uh, and that can vary by, by, uh, from, from right. region to region, from riding to riding. So those ballots, you can deposit them at your local, local polling office, your local polling location. There's a special you know, ballot box that will just be for those envelopes. You can go and take it, take it there right up until the times polls close. Those boxes have to be shipped back to the returning office. So you know, in some ridings where they're a long way away, that's not going to happen immediately. Uh, so that's to allow those boxes of, of mail-in ballots to get back to their returning office so right. that they can be checked I, I, and counted. Like, I guess, so depending on, uh, it's, it's sort of hard to know uh, without knowing exactly how many. Uh, will you be able to tell, um, I guess, people paying attention to the election results, will you be able to tell Canadians the day of the vote, the night of the vote, how many ballots have yet to be counted? Uh, will you have that information at election time? 
Yes, in fact, uh, anybody can go to our website and check that information for themselves. That will be public. You can go and check for your riding. Uh, as soon as the polls close, uh, you can check to see riding by riding if, a, if the vote is finished or if it's ongoing. And if it's ongoing, you can check to see what is the percentage of mail-in ballots left to count in that riding. And even just starting this week, as we're fulfilling those requests for mail-in ballot kits, you can go to our website and track how many requests we've gotten for mail-in ballots, riding by riding. So right. that's all public information on our website. Now, now voting is clearly a choice. And for some people, it's going to be, you know, mail-in ballots if they're concerned about the pandemic. And I'm going to get to safety issues around the polling stations in a moment. But are you taking a position as Elections Canada all suggesting, look, it would be better to to, to mail-in ballot or no, it's fine if you come to polling stations. I guess a lot of people are wondering what kind of delays they might expect at polling stations if uh, there's a rush at polling stations given safety precautions. Are you suggesting people vote uh, by mail-in ballot or not? What we're saying is that no matter which way you vote, we will be able to accommodate you. What we're actually saying is that voting in person at your polling location will remain the easiest and most efficient way to cast your ballot. Now, there may be slight delays. We are, you know, cautioning people to, uh, if you're in a polling location, for example, that is in a smaller location where the poll supervisors have to maintain more physical distance between people, maybe ask people to line up a little bit, wait a little bit before you go in and vote. You know, you might be looking at a few minutes longer than what you're used to uh, it taking for you to vote. Hmm. But Absolutely voting in person at your polling location is, is going to be easy, it's going to be efficient, right. it's going to be safe. And it's I, going to be safe for you and safe for our workers. And earlier I mentioned uh, there are uh, four days of, uh, of uh, advanced polling days as well where people can vote. But let me ask, look, the government is pushing ahead uh, with its plan uh, to force all federal public servants and all federally regulated workers to get vaccinated by the end of October. That's that's the plan, that's the, the pledge and the promise. And I'm wondering why Elections Canada maybe isn't insisting that all Elections Canada workers, and you're hiring 250,000 people to work the polling stations, why aren't you insisting that they be vaccinated if they want to work uh, at these polling stations? A few things going on here. So one is that this whole time with the pandemic is we've been in constant talks with the public uh, health agencies in the provinces at the federal level, the regional public health agencies. What they have told us is that our plans to deliver the election will allow for safe voting uh, without mandatory vaccines for our workers. So no, our workers don't, they, they will not have to be vaccinated. However, every single one of our public facing poll workers will have to be masked. We will have physical distancing at the polls. We will have hand sanitizers. There will be plexiglass barriers. So all of these steps, the public health agencies themselves have assured us will, will provide a safe enough environment uh, to vote. And if you think about it, you know, actually people have been going to grocery stores uh, and drug stores and different uh, uh, service centers throughout this pandemic. Uh, and there's uh, no, not necessarily a guarantee that the people there are going to be vaccinated. And in fact, the polling locations are a much more controlled environment than any of those other uh, locations. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so some, the, some so people the, so would the, yeah. I mean, some people would say, yeah, but I can put off buying my groceries. This is voting day. Uh, it's my franchise. Uh, and if I look at a polling station, I don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, they might, I guess there might be some concerns that people have decided not to cast a ballot because a ballot, they don't feel safe. 
We certainly encourage uh, people to, to feel safe. If you have particular uh, concerns, health concerns, exposure concerns, uh, then that is why vote by mail uh, exists as an option as well. Uh, and we, we encourage those okay. people to, to think about casting their ballot by mail. You can also vote in person as you have been able to do in previous elections uh, in person at your returning office. Uh, often there's fewer crowds there. Sure. Uh, yeah. Let, let's quickly finish on this. I mean, you could, I suppose, face a clash of rights issues at a polling station, just setting. I, I know it's hypothetical, but it's not hard to imagine it happening. Uh, some people refuse to get vaccinated. Uh, I'm talking about voters now. Some people refuse to wear masks, uh, but they'll insist on being allowed to go to a polling station and cast a ballot uh, as their uh, fundamental right. Uh, what will you do if and when that happens and someone doesn't want to follow the health procedures but says, I'm here to vote, I want to vote, let me vote? What we've been saying and what the chief electoral officer said in his press conference yesterday is that we will be applying uh, the health regulations uh, that are in place in that location. So if masks are not mandatory in, in where a polling location is, is situated in the city or province, mm -hmm. uh, then they will not be mandatory for, for voters. If they are mandatory, then we will certainly be applying uh, those, those standards and those, those rules as well. Our poll supervisors have a mandate to uh, maintain order at the polls and to ensure right. that uh, there's no disruption. And so, yes, uh, you know, if someone is is causing a disturbance, if someone refuses to to wear a mask uh, simply because, uh, you know, they feel that they shouldn't have to, uh, then then they may they may be asked to leave. Yes. Okay, uh, Natasha Gauthier, Elections Canada. Uh, thanks for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. That's all for this edition of Primetime Politics, the Vote 2021 edition. I'm Peter Van Dusen from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching. See you next time.